If you're suffering from eczema, psoriasis, vitiligo, or rosacea, this podcast is for you. Join me as I explore and share the teachings of Anthony William, medical medium. This is the You Can Heal Your Skin podcast, and trust me, you can do just that. You can heal your skin. I have healed the psoriasis that I struggled with for most of my life, and if my skin can clear up, so can yours. It's all about understanding why we are sick and what we can do to start healing. My name is Sandra Svensson, and I'm so happy to have you here. So today we're going to talk about blame, about you feeling responsible for your skin condition. And this is a continuation of the last episode. So if you haven't listened to that yet, please go ahead and do so before you listen to this one, because it's important that you understand the root cause fully before we dive deeper into the feelings around your disease. Okay. And as I said in the last episode, there are two parts to your skin condition. So one part is the virus. And the other part is the toxic heavy metals. So let's start with talking about the virus. So how does it work? How do they affect us? And where do they come from? Viruses are in our lives much more than anyone realizes. So actually, in the world we live in today, viruses are everywhere. Everywhere. They're very hard to avoid. And in truth, it's impossible to live without at least one viral strain. It's not just the standard cold and flu symptoms that signal a virus, even though this might be what we think about when we think of a virus. So when it comes to the cold and flu viruses, they're quick. They don't stick around for long inside the body after they've been conquered by the immune system. The thing is that they either conquer you or your immune system conquers them. It's either or with these viruses. They come and they go or we die. It's brutal, hey? But with EBV and HHV6, it's a different story altogether. So we can live with these viruses for a lifetime. They move around in the body and they do everything they can to stay alive. They can actually stay inside of us forever, unless we learn how to put them into dormancy or get rid of them from our bodies. I'll talk more about that later. For a virus to live long enough inside the human body to create a chronic symptom or condition, it has to be able to find some kind of food to sustain itself. So the virus has to be able to find something to eat in order to stay alive inside your body. It can't just live inside your body and just live there forever. It needs a food source. It can be old food residing in your body, or it could be new food that you ate the very same day. But it needs some kind of food to be able to stay alive inside of you. So these viruses are alive and kicking. They are eating. They are hungry. Viruses are actual living bugs that live within us. Viruses are also replicators. And what this means is that once they're inside of us, viral cells grow in number by creating replicas of themselves. And the only way a virus can replicate is if viral food is present in the human body. So what is viral food? Viral food can be a few things, and I'll give you a few examples here. It can be a troublemaker food, for example, eggs, gluten, dairy, corn, soy, etc. 
Medical Medium has a whole list of troublemaker foods divided into different levels depending on how harmful they are. Or another way to look at it, depending on how much the virus enjoys that certain food and can sustain on that food. I'll talk a lot more about troublemaker foods in the next episode, so make sure you don't miss that. Another viral food can be a toxic heavy metal. Like we know, for example, that if the virus has access to both copper and mercury in the liver, it then creates a dermatoxin that finds its way out to the skin and you end up with the symptoms of eczema or psoriasis. So toxic heavy metals are also considered as food. Another food can be adrenaline. Your virus can feed on adrenaline produced by your adrenal glands due to a stressful life, to drinking coffee, to exposing yourself to cold plunging or something like that. The virus loves this food and it contributes to making it stronger. So let's talk a little bit about how we get these viruses in us to begin with. There are many ways to catch viruses. For example, you can get it as a baby if your mother has the virus. You can also get it through infected blood because hospitals don't screen for virus, so any blood transfusion puts you at risk. You can even get it from eating out because if a chef ends up cutting a finger and puts a plaster on and then continues to work, their blood can get into the food and if they happen to have, let's say, EBV during a contagious phase, that can actually be enough to infect you. It can also happen when you mix bodily fluids. This can happen when you go to a public toilet, as there can be bodily fluids left on toilet seats, which means these bugs can be, and usually are, on the toilet seat surface. It's also wise to be careful of who you're sharing foods and drinks with, because you're sharing saliva and sometimes even microscopic blood particles. Sometimes we do this knowingly with someone close to us. Sometimes we do this unknowingly because there can be traces left on glasses and cutlery when we eat out. Mixing bodily fluids also happen during sex, and sometimes it's enough with a kiss. Now, this is not to scare you in any way, because these things just happen in life. But the more we are aware of what is happening, the better choices we can make for ourselves. Anyway, the viruses that create these autoimmune skin conditions are passed around like this all day, every day, all over the world. So let's look at what happens if you were to catch EBV, for example. So when it comes to EBV, the Epstein-Barr virus, it first goes through an initial dormant period of just floating around in your bloodstream, slowly replicating itself and just waiting for an opportunity. This is stage one. So if you were to physically exhaust yourself for weeks without any recovery, or not give your body enough nutrients for some time, or if some traumatic emotional experience such as a breakup or the death of a loved one happen, the virus will be able to detect the stress-related hormones and choose this time to take advantage of the situation. EBV will also often act when you're undergoing a major hormonal change, like during puberty, pregnancy, or menopause. A common scenario is when a woman goes through childbirth. Afterwards, she may experience many new symptoms such as fatigue, aches and pains, and depression. In this case, EBV isn't exploiting your weakness, but the fact that hormones are a powerful food source for the virus is what causes trouble. The abundance of this food acts as a trigger. 
So medical medium says that these hormones flooding through your body does the same for the virus as what spinach does for Popeye. The truth is that EBV is extremely patient. It can be in this first stage, just waiting, for weeks, months, years, or even a decade waiting for its opportunity. At the end of stage one, this is when EBV first makes its presence known by turning into mononucleosis. This is the period when the virus is most contagious, which is why you should try to avoid getting exposed to blood, saliva, or any other bodily fluids from someone who has mono, or why you should try to avoid exposing anyone else to your fluids if you have mono. During this stage, your body's immune system goes to war with the virus, so your immune system is doing everything it can to defend you. And how serious this battle becomes is different from person to person. This is because everyone is different and it also depends on which EBV strain it is because there are over 60 different strains of EBV around. So you could have mono for just a week or two with mild symptoms, uh, like a scratchy throat and feeling a bit tired. And in this case, you aren't even likely to realize that it's happening. Or you could be hit hard. Like you could have symptoms of fatigue, sore throat, fever, headaches, rashes, and more that hang on for several months. And if this happens to you, you're more likely to go to the doctor who will then test your blood and tell you that you have mono. So let's move on to stage two. In stage two, EBV is looking for a long-term home in your body typically in your liver and or your spleen. So EBV loves to stay there because lots of toxins accumulate there. And we already know that the virus absolutely thrives on these poisons. So once the virus settles in your liver, it makes a nest there, and this is stage three. When the virus is hiding in your liver, your body thinks that it has won the war and that the invader has been destroyed. Your immune system returns to its normal state, your mono ends, and your doctor tells you that you're healthy. Unfortunately, though, this is not true. This is just the beginning. So the virus just nests deep in your liver and your spleen and is causing these organs to become inflamed and enlarged. But the doctors won't be able to find any virus in the bloodstream, and they have no tests that can find the virus inside the organs so we believe that the virus is gone. The virus is very much present in our body though, but it's hiding. So the EBV is creating a lot of poisons in your system that finally will trigger your immune system and also confuse it because it has no idea where the toxins are coming from. Your immune system normally wouldn't allow this to happen to you, but if EBV has successfully worn you down in stage three, the virus will then take advantage of your vulnerability and start to cause a multitude of strange symptoms. A very common scenario is being in an accident, getting surgery, or suffering some physical damage, and then feeling awful for much longer than would be expected. A typical reaction is to feel like, I got hit by a truck, or it came out of nowhere. Blood tests, x-rays, and MRIs won't reveal anything, so doctors aren't aware of the virus. That's why this stage four is a major source of mystery illness. That is, problems that cause doctors massive confusion. They have no idea what's happening. 
So try not to worry too much, though, about having EBV in your system because you can recover, you can rebuild your immune system, and you can return to a normal state again, and you can regain control of your life. More about that later on. The viruses we are surrounded by are all engineered and new in our modern day. This started in the first 20 years of the 20th century, so about a century ago. Fairly recent, in other words. So, before the early 1900s, viruses were passive and untampered with by human beings. They may not have appeared to be passive because of severe deficiencies and lack of fresh water in many places. Because a passive virus is not so passive when someone's diet consists of a single type of grain for two straight years, or with no access to fresh fruit and vegetables, and no clean water for drinking and bathing. That's how viruses were able to take hold in certain areas and wreak havoc. When it comes to how viruses replicate, there are a lot of different theories out there. Experts often use terms like DNA, RNA, and proteins to make viruses seem like they're all about genetics. So, as you know, we're not only being told that our bodies are attacking themselves, we're also being told that there's something wrong with our genes. So do you notice a pattern here? The blame, once again, falls on your body, because medical research and medical science have yet to find true answers for eczema, psoriasis, vitiligo, and rosacea. Well-intentioned doctors are being drawn into this idea that there is a connection between people's health issues and their genes. But there just isn't. Yes, your mother or grandfather or other family members may look like you and they might have similar health issues, but this doesn't mean that your genes are related to the skin condition you have. So, a quick little recap on the virus. The virus is manufactured in a lab. You caught it either in utero or as you were making your way through life. It just happened. You didn't do anything wrong. It's honestly quite hard to avoid these viruses. Then the virus went to hide in your liver, and when some major event happened in your life, the virus was ready to take over the show, and you got symptoms on your skin from what seemed to come from nowhere. Are you with me here? Can you maybe relate to this? I really hope you do. And if so, it's time to move on and talk about the other part of your issue, the toxic heavy metals. So everybody has a different mix of poisons and toxins within their bodies. It is unique for everyone and it all depends on what we've been exposed to. The truth is that planet Earth is not a pure place. It's definitely not an easy place to thrive. We all have bits and pieces of industrial waste inside of us, some of us more than others. There's poisons and toxins living in our cells that will never leave unless we do something about it, unless we are aware of it and unless we take action. So where do these toxins come from? Let's take a closer look at the toxic heavy metals that are a part of the root cause and are causing your skin condition. So let's start with mercury. There are so many ways to be exposed to mercury. Mercury has been in our world for thousands of years and not in a natural way. Yes, it's a natural element. We've mined it from the earth and we've brought this toxic substance into our lives throughout the ages. And it's still in industrial use today but how did it end up in your system? You might have eaten a pharmaceutical of some kind that contained mercury, as most medicines do. 
and our water supply has mercury in it. Restaurant food prepared with tap water can contain mercury. The coffee you buy on the go is most likely made with tap water, so it can have mercury in it. And so on. You might be from a generation that still has mercury fillings in your teeth. Maybe you worked in a factory where you were exposed to mercury. Maybe you've been exposed to mercury by touching a battery that has residues on the outside of it. Or maybe you got it from a broken light bulb where you inhaled the vapor particles of mercury. Mercury also falls out of the sky. The mercury we breathe in comes from vaporized solutions that are emitted by airplanes and jets that eventually reach us through the air. And have you ever eaten a can of tuna? Or sprayed pesticides inside your home? These are just a few ways in which you might have encountered this toxic heavy metal. We've also inherited mercury quicksilver, because when people went to the doctor in the 18th and the 19th century, they were pretty much always given quicksilver, no matter what their health issue was. So the tonic they got was made by heating mercury to create a liquid that patients could drink. And the consequences of these tonics continue to this day. These tonics are still poisoning us and the new generations being born. Actually, mercury, which is the most corrupting of the toxic heavy metals, can easily stick around in a bloodline for thousands of years, passed down from generation to generation, amplifying as it goes. So the mercury in your body today could actually have been mined 3,000 years ago. Isn't that just mind-blowing? Mercury is not kind when it has moved into your body. It weakens the immune system, it causes emotional struggles and mental struggles, and feeds viruses aggressively, allowing them to prosper, become more toxic, and create more viral toxins in the body, making your symptoms even worse. So let's move on and talk about copper. Where could you have been exposed to copper? Do you live in a house with copper pipes? This copper can leach into your drinking water and also the water you shower or take a bath in. Have you ever been on any medications? Because these can often contain some copper. Have you ever cooked food using copper pots or pans? Or maybe you've eaten in a restaurant that uses them where they're old and scraped and small pieces of copper could actually end up in your food. Pesticides, herbicides and fungicides are also full of toxic copper. Every single person on this planet has been exposed to copper from these products as they are everywhere. So let's start with fungicides. They are a hidden exposure that many people are not even aware of. For example, have you noticed how money doesn't smell like money anymore? That smell has been taken over by fungicides. The chemical industry has somehow convinced institutions and companies to start using fungicides on all sorts of products, even such as paper money. But you can also find fungicides on most clothes you buy today. And you can find it on new furniture, cardboard boxes, paper products, and in dry cleaning chemicals, among other things. Herbicides are used in little backpacks by landscapers everywhere. They spray weeds in lawns and garden beds. And one person's herbicide application can travel miles and miles and miles. We can't see it and we can't smell it, but it's there. Now, when it comes to pesticides, eating conventional produce can add to your situation, but most of your exposure to copper is actually from pesticides from past generations. 
It's from your parents' parents or from your grandparents' grandparents. Most of it actually comes from DDT. Are you familiar with DDT? It was initially used to combat malaria, typhus, and other insect-borne diseases. It was also effective for insect control in crop production and in institutions, homes, and gardens everywhere. DDT was put into high use in 1939 and was used extensively for many decades, and Sweden was actually the first country to ban it in 1969. So most people believe that it came to the scene in 1939, but it actually already started in 1874. Before 1874, psoriasis and eczema hardly existed. It was very rare. What existed of it was from copper poisoning from copper pipes and things of that nature. It came from the industries. In 1874 and the following years, there was an eczema and psoriasis boom that came out of the pesticides that came from DDT. And from then on, it's been passed down from generation to generation. This is also why babies can have eczema because they have copper and pathogens in the liver from previous generations. So if you're adding it by drinking water from copper pipes or consuming pesticides, it doesn't help. But most of your copper is from old times. Isn't that fascinating? So how about aluminium? Well, when was the last time you used aluminium foil? Is it something you use in your everyday life? Have you ever eaten food from aluminium containers? Have you ever used aluminium kitchen utensils? Have you ever drunk water, beer, or soft drinks from aluminium cans? Have you ever eaten food from a takeaway aluminium container? And have you ever taken any types of medications? Because pharmaceuticals usually contain some aluminium. Your tap water usually contains some aluminium as well. Your makeup and deodorant could also expose you to aluminium. Even your sunscreen could have aluminium in it. And did you know that fluoride is an aluminium byproduct? It's highly toxic to the liver, causing liver cell damage. We often get fluoride from our toothpaste, our mouthwash, and by going to the dentist. It's also very common to treat public water with fluoride. Aluminium is also often found in pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides. So these are just some of the ways we are exposed to, inherit, and absorb toxic heavy metals. There are more ways to accumulate them, and not just heavy metals, but other toxins too. Can you see now that it isn't your fault that you're sick? You haven't created your own skin condition. You didn't create it because of negative thoughts or a bad lifestyle. You really didn't. You have been exposed to viruses and toxic heavy metals throughout your life. Viruses that are created in labs and toxic heavy metals in your environment that you couldn't possibly control. And you've been majorly affected by things that happened long before you were even born. How can that be your fault? Well, it can't. And it isn't. Do you hear me? When it comes to these troublemakers that you have inside of you, some of them were in your ancestors too. And when you inherit them from generations before you, I think it's important not to blame them either. You can't blame them for what they were exposed to, and you can't blame yourself for what you've been exposed to. And if you have kids, don't blame yourself for their struggles either. It is what it is. So you need to stop blaming yourself and just accept the situation for what it is. 
this is where you are now. Anthony actually says that there's nothing more healing than compassion. Compassion is the number one healer. So please feel compassion with yourself. Feel compassion with your ancestors. Put all the blame and shame away and let self-compassion help you forward in your healing. And then you need to look at what you can do. You can start to avoid some of the exposure by filtering your water, changing your pots and pans, buying organic produce, avoiding fluoride products, not eating tuna, etc., etc. This will certainly help by not adding too much to the problem that already exists. But the best thing you can do is to wake up, open your eyes to the situation, and then take action. The best thing you can do is to start detoxing your liver. This is the best way to defend yourself and the ones you love. This is also the only way to start reversing your symptoms and healing your skin. Now that you know the truth, you finally have the power to turn things around. You have the power to kill the virus and to detox the toxic heavy metals. You have the power to detox your liver from these poisons and give your liver a new start in life. You have the power to stop this exposure from going on and on and on and on and on with future generations. You could actually be the one to break the chain and give everybody a new chance. This is how I try to think, at least. I don't have any children yet, but if I'm lucky enough to have children in the future, then at least I know that I've done what I could for them. And when they're born, I will continue with the detox for as long as they are under my roof. And I will educate them on how their bodies work and what good health is and how it can be achieved. I might never get to experience that. Then at least I've done it for myself. I've healed a chronic disease that the doctors say is impossible to heal. And that in itself is quite an achievement. One that has given me my freedom back. So how do you feel about your skin condition now? Do you look at your eczema, psoriasis, vitiligo or rosacea in a new light? Are you excited to start detoxing your liver? Are you excited to start healing your skin? I really hope so. I'm so happy to have you here. I know what it's like to feel like a prisoner in your own body, to want to crawl out of your own skin every now and then. This information has truly changed my life. I finally feel free in my own skin. I finally feel peaceful in my skin. And I want the same for you, my friend. I really do. With this podcast, I hope to be able to inspire you and help you forward in your healing. If you're new to all of this and you're looking for some guidance to get started, then I've got you covered. I've created a free mini course that is also called You Can Heal Your Skin, where you will learn all the basics. And if you've been on your healing journey for a while and you feel like you're a bit stuck maybe and in need of a helping hand, then please go ahead and book a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me so I can help you move forward with healing your skin. You can find all the details at my website, sandrasvensson.com, or by clicking the links in the show notes. Talk to you soon. This podcast and its content are presented for informational purposes only. 
and are not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, treatment or prescription. Make sure you consult your doctor if you have a condition that requires medical attention. Please do not ignore medical advice or postpone medical appointments because of something you have heard on the You Can Heal Your Skin podcast.